Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at Reconditioning HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the honor of speaking with Stuart Phillips. Stuart is currently a full professor in the Department of Kinesiology at School of Medicine at McMaster University. He is Tier 1 Canada Research Chair in Skeletal Muscle Health. He is also the director of the McMaster Center for Nutrition, Exercise, and Health Research and the Physical Activity Center of Excellence. Stuart was the inaugural recipient of the Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology Mentorship Award in 2017. In 2018 and 19, he was named to Clarivate's high cited research list as being in the top 1% of all cited researchers in nutrition and exercise research. Stewart is a fellow of the American College of Sports Medicine and Canadian Academy of Health Sciences. Above all his academic accomplishments, he has been married for 23 years and is a father of three sons. Pleased to have him on the show today. Welcome, Stewart. My pleasure. I think the last one is is the biggest accomplishment by a country mile. <laughs> she kept you for 23. <laughs> Fess up right off the bat that um, my wife is actually the dean of the faculty in, in which I, I work. So she's not only my boss, but my boss's boss. So uh, to use a lot of my friend's uh, phrase, I definitely married up in that uh, relationship. So. <laughs> Well, we'll cross that path when we when we get to it. But I'll start by going way back. Like, where did you where did you grow up? Are you an Ontario boy to begin with? Yeah, no. Actually, I, I was born in uh, in the United Kingdom uh, okay. there until I was uh, just about turned thirteen, and then my father, mm-hmm. mother, and we our whole family we uh, immigrated to Canada. That was in uh, nineteen eighty. So um, I probably consider myself a Canadian now, spent more of my life here than there. But uh, I still have a, I used to be able to say EU passport, but now it's just a British passport, I guess. <laughs> well, coming from England at 13, how did you, it's, you know, you said in your thing that you were a former ice hockey player of football. When you yeah. said football, did you mean the the glory of football from England or did you mean soccer? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, football versus soccer. <laughs> Definitely football. I mean, for me, uh, the, the more physical contact in the sport, the more I enjoyed it. So uh, rugby, probably number one, football and ice hockey, probably ice hockey a little bit more than football, but uh, I played them all. And uh, I think my body's sort of playing, paying the price for that now. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I played soccer, but I played it poorly, I would say. A physical player. <laughs> Well, how was, did you learn to skate when you came over to Canada or did you already knew how to skate? No, absolutely. Yeah. When I came 
where I, uh, you know, one of the first things I wanted to do. So first of all, people say, so what happened to your accent? And I always say, well, you know, who wanted to be different when they were 13? I always wanted to fit in. So, um, you know, you, you work to lose your accent, I'll be honest, but, um, at the same time, yeah, you know, you learn to do things and to hang around with the people that you're friends with and they played hockey. So, uh, it was a painful process, but uh, teaching yourself to skate when you're 13. And uh, I, I'd like to say I was one of those phenoms, and then all of a sudden I found my natural gift. But uh, I'm a very mediocre athlete at best. So, <laughs> when when you came over from uh, the UK to Canada, was that a, a tough transition? Do you remember it as a kid? Was it or was it easy for you? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I think like uh, all big changes in in people's lives um probably less so maybe when you're a kid because you're you're still pretty resilient and um but it's tough you know there were tough times and uh you miss your family you miss your friends and that sort of stuff so i i definitely identify um with a lot of stories i read and i hear uh about new immigrants to canada and people undergoing you know stages of change it's uh it's never an easy process but um good good mom and dad, good family supports, encouragement to do this. And, you know, uh, sports for me was just a huge helper along the way. I can't imagine my life without it, frankly. Mm. Were you um, an early academic in essence, or were you more an athlete who who, who went to school, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, I, I was, um, I, you know what, I, I did okay in school. I, I did better than average. Um, I, I will say that uh, I, I worked hard for everything uh that happened to me academically nothing ever came easy um a few things maybe but but really not you know school wasn't um you know a breeze for me um I, I, I was an athlete that went to school. I think when I made the choice to, I did my undergraduate at McMaster. I based a lot of the decision about where to go on, you know, what kind of rugby team they had to be honest with you and the people that were there and was more encouraged about that than I was about the academics. But, you know, um, work hard, play hard. It's, it's sort of been a, a phrase I've lived by, but I, I've had, honestly, school-wise, I've had to work hard for everything uh, I've got. So going to university, what were you drawn to? Like, what, uh, what, was, what was the thing that sort of, when you had to make that choice of going for your major, what, what was it that kicked you into that? We can't grow this podcast without you, the listener, or the support of our amazing sponsors. This year, we are pleased to announce the support of Matrix Fitness, one of the largest commercial fitness brands in the world and one of the fastest growing in the industry. Matrix Fitness produces training tools that focus on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike. With equipment that focuses on building speed, power, and explosive performance in the most efficient manner, Matrix has partnered with some of the top sporting organizations in the world. As a global brand with local support, the Matrix Performance Team assists their customers with solutions, research, and training protocols so coaches can focus on what they do best, help athletes prepare for competition, and getting better. For more information, please request their sports performance package from their Canadian Director of Education, Annie.Vilnev at MatrixFitness.com, and mention the Leave Your Mark podcast to qualify for your 20% discount. Yeah, you know, um, I, I like science. Uh, I've always loved science. Um, things, uh, I think, you know, when you first looked down a microscope when I was a kid, you got one of those little, you know, uh, at-home microscopes and looking at a leaf or, 
you know, something that you picked up, I was, you know, I was blown away. So I was, I've always been drawn to science. It's always fascinated me. Um, the career that I have now and the ability to blend sort of exercise or sport and, and, and science is, it's a, a real, you know, blessing to, to have the two things come together. So, but I went to McMaster with the goal of a science degree in mind. Um, I would say uh, at the time, the, the school in which I teach now in kinesiology didn't exist. It was physical education. And all I knew was that I, I wanted to do more science than you could get from a phys ed degree. And that's not a, you know, a put down on phys ed by any stretch. It's just that um, I, uh, I enjoyed the, the science and the biology more than I enjoyed. But I, but I got the, the physical side of things through my, my athletics during my undergrad career. So it was a great blend. So you played rugby while you were there. Did, did, is that when you fractured your leg? Twice. Twice. Oh, nice. <laughs> Twice. And, and I think, I don't know the exact dates, but they were a calendar year apart by like literally days. Uh, the first one was worse than the second, but um, uh, th- that should have been, that should have been as my wife is fond of saying, the writing on the wall, that rugby uh, it was time to maybe shelve it. But I played for a number of years after and uh, shoulder. <laughs> knees, elbows, legs. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm feeling it these days. That's for sure. Rugby players never give up. (laughs) I have friends like my age and I'm, I'm coming up on 54 who who still play and uh, credit to them. I don't know how they do it. I think uh, the watershed moment for me was uh, I was laying on a couch um, after having, trying to play uh, sort of a comeback in, um, my wife had son number one and son number two and son number two was just a baby and I, I could, I could hardly move. And she said, you are no good to me. You're, you're, you're useless on that couch. <laughs> you are no good to me. <laughs> I, I was like, I was in so much pain and I, I sort of realized it was a, a real epiphany moment. I was like, yeah, it's, it's time, time to hang them up. <laughs> So did you, you meet your wife at school or did, is that where you guys met or? Yeah, I, I wasn't until uh, a lot later. I went through my undergraduate, uh, did a master's degree, both at McMaster. And then um, I uh, decided to do a PhD at the University of Waterloo. Um, it's the, it was the, bro- the broken legs play a pivotal role in the story. Uh, the last year I was at McMaster in, in my undergraduate, which was in biochemistry, um, I was all set to uh, basically, i uh, written the MCAT, scores were good. I was off to medical school. I was like, this is my last year. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to be a, a clinician. All good. Uh, I broke my leg um, two weeks before this, the fall semester started, and um, I couldn't play rugby. And it was a huge blow. I didn't know what to do. I was really lost. And, and I thought, you know what? Here's the senior thesis project. I'm like, I'll pick that up because it's more hours. It's a full year course and uh, it'll take up a lot of my credits and fill some of the time. And basically, I went into the lab and, and just fell in love with uh, the process and was really supported by uh, some good people and the grad students were great. And, and that's, you know, it's the, the moment where things just kind of gel or come together and um, never look back, but, and then the same, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a broken leg that led to the masters, but it was the enjoyment of the, the senior thesis that led me to, to pursue that. But I met my wife in the first year of our, uh, of my PhD, mm. she was a master's student. So, uh, 
a little a little bit behind me. But. So, what did you when you say you fell in love? What did you fall in love with? Was it was it the investigation? Was it the figuring something out that somebody didn't understand? What what, what is it that you fell in love with? Yeah, you, you know, at the time uh, when I was. Um, in that lab, it was the, the, the era where if you had sequenced a gene, you, you published that sequence and it was a publication. So it was the pre-human genome sequencing era. Uh, molecular biology was just really starting to get going. And so you can imagine the sort of changes that uh, I've seen even in my comparatively short lifetime. But it was just the thrill of discovery, I think. And even realizing that the discoveries were were incrementally small but were contributing to a bigger picture was um just something that uh, you know whatever pushes your your you know psychological buttons it was just a really cool feeling uh, i i just enjoyed it um obviously i didn't do it for money um not that it hasn't got me to a great space career wise but it's um there were a lot of years uh living with not a lot of money so uh, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you, you you fall in love with this and it sort of starts taking you in a direction of doing you know the phd and 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 are you doing the phd because you're also getting connected with the idea of being a professor or is it more that you're just enjoying the pathway of being of the research what, what's what's your draw to that yeah, uh, it was the pathway. Um, I don't think even when I went to do my PhD that if somebody had said to me, you know what, you're going to end up being a professor, you're going to pursue writing grants, you're going to do research as a career, I'd have been like, no way, that's not going to happen. But I, I enjoyed the process. Um, every day going to work was, was, a, was a good day. Uh, there was always bad days in, in science. You know, it's never search. I always say to my students, that's why we call it research, because you have to redo so many things. But, <laughs> yeah, they, they always look at me, they glaze over, and I'm sure they're saying, you know, shut up. <laughs> You're old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, shut up, old man, you know. You're, but it's true. Um, I, I don't think I ever thought, and I still, I think even um, I, I had a, a fantastic postdoctoral experience and, you know, so getting way ahead of myself now, but um, down with um, uh, Bob Wolf in Galveston, Texas, and met some people who are still to this day very, very good friends of mine and colleagues. And uh, even at that time, I was thinking, you know what, this is all, this is, this is not really what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to medical school. I'm going to do this. And then it really wasn't until, you know, I was so far along and I just thought, I really, honestly, I I remember talking to my, at the time girlfriend, or maybe she was my fiance, now wife and saying, you know what I'm thinking, but she goes, and she was always go for it, you know, and everything. And then I remember her saying, and she always asked difficult questions. She still does uh, saying, is that really what you want to do? And I, and I honestly, <laughs> I just you know, sort of sat there and I was like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm kind of, like, I'm, I, I enjoy this and, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, here I am, uh, 20, 22 years after joining McMaster university. So that's really cool. Yeah. So you, how do you, how do you two meet? You meet, uh, in the hallways of school or what, what's, that's the story there. Yeah. She was a master's student in the same department. We were both in kinesiology. I was a PhD student. 
and um, we we met in a statistics class. I know it's it's we're all great scientific romance, <laughs> right? So, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I'd like to say the rest is history. But uh, she was a varsity basketball and soccer player. Um, mm. Was was continuing to play both those sports. Uh, so I could never, you know, find her after because as soon as classes ended or the lab was over, she was off to practice. And um, it wasn't until uh, a Christmas party when things were winding down that I uh, uh, I asked her out. And she had had a little bit to drink at the time. She's going to hate me telling this story. <laughs> I remember saying to her, I'm like, I, I want to make sure if I ask you and you say yes, that you'll remember this tomorrow. I, you know, so... <laughs> So I said, where are you on the scale? Are you like a one or a two? Or is this like a blackout? And she was like, no, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, well, I'll go out with you. No problem. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it started there. And uh, it, it's, it's been a long road. But, but uh, <laughs> Well, you, you, you said facetiously in some sense in your thing that she's the boss. But I mean, what is, what is it that you... Um, what did you fall in love with in your wife? Like, what is she, what is her yin to your yang? Or is, is, is that a, a factor of the two? Of you? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, love's a crazy thing, right? It's, uh, it's got all kinds of dimensions to it, but I, I honestly do remember, um, I had gone down to Texas to do a postdoc and she had actually gone to medical school. She finished her master's. She went to medicine, uh, back in, uh, Eastern Canada and Nova Scotia. Um, you know, everybody knows where that is now because of that mass shooting that just happened. Mm -hmm. But I mean, uh, Nova Scotia is a very small place. And, uh, she went to medical school, uh, in Halifax, Nova Scotia for a year, decided that she didn't like it. And I know everybody thinks that's crazy. Wow. You, you, you know, spend all that time getting in and then she, but she dropped out after a year and went back to pursue a PhD at, at Waterloo where I had just graduated from, I was down in Texas. So we were, you know, thousands of miles apart and, uh, that, that was, it was tough. Mm. You know, distance relationships are, are hard. Uh, they're hard to keep going, uh, hard to remember what it is that you like about the person. And, you know, so anybody that spends that amount of time apart, I, I, I get it. Mm -hmm. Um, and we'd sort of, I'd sort of been down there for about two years and uh, coming on three years actually. And I thought, maybe I would stay there. And, uh, we, she came down, Maureen, my wife came down and we went on a trip to new Orleans. And I remember sitting, um, there's a fountain and it's, it's in a famous, it's, it's actually a scene of a shooting. In a, and I think it's a James Bond movie or something like that, but it's right out of the river walk. And we're sitting by this, this fountain in new Orleans. And I can remember saying to me, well, you know what, if you want to stay here, uh, like I'm not coming to I'm not coming to Texas, and uh, she said, "But you know what? I, I love you enough to tell you that you got to do what you want to do." And I can remember thinking at the time, like, "Well, what the hell? You know, that's not." But then I remember thinking to myself, "Holy cow! Like, look what she just said." And mm. I thought, "Man, I gotta, I gotta, you know, to, to coin the phrase, I gotta put a ring on this, or I don't think I'm gonna find somebody else like this." So, uh, so I did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Awesome. And, you know, here we go. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Great story. So yeah. how do you end up being, how do you end up back in Canada teaching at McMaster? What's the story there? Or the... Our sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com, is going virtual. The Reconditioning Level 1 has been turned into a complete online experience, and all the time-tested systems and processes are now available to you in 20 hours of online video modules and two virtual Zoom sessions. Reconditioning is a very powerful language and system of practice that brings the worlds of therapy and performance together in one complete package and helps you deliver the most powerful injury and performance solutions to your clients. Check them out at reconditioninghq.com today and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I guess um, I I bring the ring back. I I propose. Maureen says yes. We're like, okay, we're getting married. And I'm like, we got to do this. Like, I don't want to sit around and spend. So I said, I'm I'm leaving Texas. I'm coming back. Um, We got to figure out something to do. Um, Maureen was right, really coming close to the end of her PhD. And uh, we had a, a mutual contact, a colleague, a guy named Mike Houston, who had just taken up a position um, as the chair and director of the School of Human Kinetics at the University of British Columbia. And he said, why don't you both come out here and do, you know, basically do a postdoc with me and, um, you know, you, you can be together. And so we were like, perfect, great, no problem. I came back. Um, we got married. Uh, our honeymoon consisted of a seven-day trip in her parents' um, camper van. I know, super romantic, um, you know, uh, camping around Nova Scotia. You well, know. you do have your 25th coming up, so I guess you owe her on that one. <laughs> <laughs> the, the payback is coming. And then we, we hopped in a, uh, uh, a bronze Ford Aerostar that I bought down in Texas, and we drove across the, uh, across the country uh, with all of our worldly possessions. I know it sounds like some sort of movie or something, but it's, it didn't make Cosmos top 10 as the thing to do as newlyweds, but it was, uh, it was, it was a good um, uh, acid test of our relationship because the air conditioning broke when it was... <laughs> you know, 80 degrees driving through the foothills in Alberta. And it was, uh, <laughs> but we were there for a year and, uh, you know, we, we, we made it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, so how do you find your, um, your, your passion in research? Like you, you obviously have found sort of a, a niche, call it, or that an area that, uh, that you're passionate about. How does that sort of arrive for you? Yeah. Uh, so in my master's, the first thing I did is a master's student and I, you know, I, I've been blessed and you don't, I don't think you realize it at the time, but looking back, um, about having great mentors, about having people that just push you, and at the time when they push you, I think you, you might resent it or feel, you know, why is this person saying this or pushing me this way? And then you look back on it, you, you're like, that shaped me. Um, so Stephanie Atkinson, my master's supervisor, a guy named Mark Tarnopolsky, still a good friend and colleague uh, over in the McMaster Hospital, um, were really the people that, uh, that kind of pushed me. And uh, a guy named Duncan McDougall, if you're, uh, you know, strength conditioning skeletal muscle person he's an icon um pushed me around and 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 showed me what to you know i needed to do and challenged me on various things forced me to think certain ways forced me out of thinking other ways and and really 
Um, you know, those are the experiences. And then during my PhD, Howie Green of Waterloo, Bob Wolf, uh, and all my friends in, in Galveston, Texas, that really just sort of changed the way I, I think. But it was protein metabolism in my master's. And uh, it just, I don't know, uh, Mark uh, lit a fire under me. Duncan encouraged it. Stephanie supported it. And I went, I went away from it with Howie during my PhD. Still did some great stuff, uh, still using the same methodology. But I knew I, I, I kind of wanted to come back to the protein story. And, um, and then when I, I figured out this, this, you know, sort of meshing of sport, exercise, protein, muscle, strength, and I was like, wow, this is like, you know, too many things coming together for it to be, to be true, really. So uh, it's just been a fantastic journey and, uh, you know, real blessed to have people who push me and uh, pull me and poke me and, <laughs> and probably annoyed me at times, but, but made me the person that I am now. So uh, it's, it's, it's been pretty great. That's cool. Well, and this isn't a technical podcast, but I do, I would, would be uh, remiss to not ask you like what, why is protein so controversial? In, in, in the business of nutrition in essence yeah. uh, and why has it sort of remained in some sense controversial what is it that we still don't understand or we understand or we bias towards that creates that controversial sort of underpinning of it and I want to sp- splinter off of that around your viewpoints on the controversy of nutrition itself to, to some degree the camps um, yeah. what your viewpoint on that is so yeah, you know, I think protein is controversial, and I was about to answer to say, well, you know, it's fundamentally different from carbohydrates. We don't store it. We don't really, you know, we don't really burn it that that great for a fuel. It's different than fats, great fuel, lots of storage sites, um, and thinking, and they're not as controversial, but then I went, oh, hold on. <laughs> There's no <laughs> I'm fond of saying, you know, everybody said, well, protein's going to kill you. And I said, I thought carbs are going to kill you. But no, hold on. Fats are going to kill you. Uh, you know, so what's going to kill us this week? Like, you know, we're, we're all going to die at some point, right? But um, I, I, I think, you know, the, the thing that really I enjoy about protein and, and, um, and the, what sort of kept me interested in this, there are a lot of people who do carbohydrate and, and lipid research, mostly tied into sort of sports performance, but also cardiovascular disease, diabetes. Um, but not very many people study protein and protein metabolism. Uh, I could probably go to a conference just about anywhere in the world, and if I were on the on the program speaking, the person next to me would be one of usually about a dozen or maybe two dozen at most people who are doing work in the same area. But um, it's fascinated me for a, a number of reasons. It, it ties in, I think, my love of biochemical metabolic pathways, and I know when I say that, people will roll their eyes, but I... Uh, I honestly do think that that's uh, that's a true, cool thing that I do. Um, but it's also given me a lot of opportunities to move and branch in different directions, not just from an athlete perspective, but aging and sarcopenia. Those are things that you know. And I think somebody said it to me the other day, and so I'm stealing somebody else's quote. You know, where research becomes me search. So I'm a little older now, and I'm like, yeah, this aging thing, this is important. You know. So, <laughs> I need to understand it more. Exactly. 
And so as I splinter off of that, why, why is nutrition so controversial? Like you can get into a space, like you, you know, you can go to a conference and you can hear somebody tell you that as you were just joking about, you know, like we should be eating all fat or we should be eating all protein or we should be eating all carbs or some variation there. And is, is it, you know, is it people misunderstanding or mis misbiasing the research, or is it just that the, that there's a need to find your camp? And, and like, I'm just interested in your your take on this this world a little bit. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not as sure that there was as much splintering. I'll, and I'll you know rewind the timeline, although I'm probably incorrect in this. But let's say 30 years ago, it was maybe you know the controversy was probably there, but not as widely or broadly advertised as it is now or, or, or propagated with all the social media um, outlets that we have for people to give their viewpoints. And so there's been a, a proliferation of, of research, I will say that, is that, you know, when I was in grad school, it was, it was a core five or six journals, and I only really read them because that's, those are the ones that were important. Now, you know, they, they there, there are a thousand new journals, right? And, and the, the information flow is coming so much faster. There's a proliferation of expertise as well. And I'll use expertise in quotation marks because people who maybe are not discipline trained, and I'm not saying that that means that they are inferior in their thinking, but they, they are experts. And so people give voice to some people who I think deservedly could be probably uh labeled and, and said are, are bona fide experts. They think well, they've read well, they understand, they can critically think. Um, but there are a lot of people in the nutrition camps who who haven't done that, and I think that creates confusion. Mm. And I now think fast forward 30 years, and you know, and it could, I could have drawn the timeline back even further, but with obesity being such an issue is that nutrition these days is more about weight than it has ever been in human history. Mm -hmm. um, unless, you know, you go back before we didn't have ample food supply and then nutrition was about weight, but about, well, I got to get weight because I don't have food around. Whereas now we have food seemingly everywhere mm -hmm. and not hard to get. And I, I get it. You know, there's a part of the world where that's not true, but in Westernized or whatever you want to say it, developed countries, economies first first world economies it's about weight and weight loss and so it, now it becomes about if there's something with weight loss which we know is inherently difficult if you find something that works for you and lasts then that is a true it's beyond a, a nutritional question it's an almost um it you know and and forgive the parallel but it's an almost religious experience it's an epiphany uh it's a watershed moment and then people cling to an ideology and and rather than you know questioning it or or, or sort of because if it worked for them by god it's it's right and, and and it may well be that it worked for them for reasons unrelated to the diet and probably related to their genes or just their ability to stick to things and i hate to use willpower as a term but you know um so i think it's become a lot more controversial more because it's about weight and weight loss and because most people uh find that difficult to achieve mm. and 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 sustain and uh so then when people 
do find something, that's their thing. And, um, you know, not disagreeing with keto or not disagreeing with Ornish, but I'm a, I'm an energy balanced person and, you know, calories in calories out. And uh, I probably in saying this, I'm going to, the hate mail will pour in, but <laughs> you know, you get my point. Like I Absolutely. see them being the far greater driving stimulus and, and, you know, there are probably some minor subtleties in the argument. Um, but, uh, that's, that's where I sit on this. Hmm. What's in your ZNA? That is a question our sponsor Zenkai Sports has for you. Are you interested in increasing your performance output, helping the environment, and doing less laundry? If you answered yes to any of those questions, please go to ZenkaiSports.com and check out the latest innovation in performance apparel. Zenkai uses cutting-edge technology that repels sweat and other liquids. Zenkai apparel lets the sweat stay on your skin, keeping your cooler for longer and repelling odor-causing bacteria. This means Zenkai apparel can be worn 10, 15, 20 times with no washing required. I would highly recommend trying this amazing product, and I've teamed up with them so you can get 20% off your entire order. Just head over to ZenkaiSports.com and use the discount code LYM20. Yeah, I always find like the in these arguments that the context of the situation gets lost in translation. Like you get the, the bias towards a certain methodology to your point, based on some personal experience. And then, you know, we start to forget that every human is a different animal and they metabolize food differently. They, they use energy differently. Like there's so many individual differences in this plethora of humanity that there's things that, you know, what may work for a and might not work for B. And, you know, if we can keep that within a contextual understanding, then it, then it becomes a better, better conversation, but absolutely it can become very dogmatic at times. <clears throat> I'm interested actually off of that, like you obviously teach a lot of young people and you're, you know, I want to get into your, your mentorship award and things like this, but my, 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 I'm interested in how you, um, counsel young people coming up in the industry now and doing their masters and PhD and things not to be like, how do you steer them away from bias and, and make them with all the noise out there and social media and the things that, you know, and the, the camps and the flagpoles and everything else? How do you instigate their their sensitivity to looking at things from a broader picture and, and really questioning stuff? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, uh, I, I was on social media in this time uh, with, with COVID being such a thing is it's, it's sort of, you know, it seems sort of almost daily you can find differing opinions and every, it's, it's just like, it's a, you know, an absolutely unparalleled time in human history for sort of trying to sort out and find the signals in the noise um, to use uh, Nate Silver's phrase from his great book. But I mean, my, my point is, is to teach you, you know, I don't know if I can, and I I don't think there's a lot of people who probably can either. Um, but there are some people to whom I listen, who, who I value their opinions. And there are others who I sort of, I'll listen, but I'm, you know, I'm half listening maybe. And there are other people who I, I honestly, I tune out. And, and I'm not saying that I'm by no means perfect. I'm, I'm biased. I have my own biases. We all are to some, some degree. 
Uh, I'd like to think, however, on some topics that I feel that I'm less informed on, that I'm, I'm open to, to listening to other people. Um, but the skills that, that young people really need to learn, and I, I'm not sure, and I'd be honest in saying this, is that higher education, um, we, we, as a group, my department got together recently and reviewed our courses and, and what we teach people. And I don't know that we, we're doing a great job of teaching people how to think critically um, mm-hmm. because that's surely the core skill that people really need these days is to, you know, you see something and you, and you, you know, you just want to get, you don't sort of just take it at face value and think, yeah, that's right. And then you could switch to the next tweet. And you're like, Oh no, no, that's right. That, that, and then you're like, Oh, hold on. Mm. There's a controversy here. So let's sort of see who's, who's saying this. Does that matter? What are they saying? What do I know about this? If I don't know enough, can I teach myself enough so that I could figure out the signal and the noise? And, um, We've done okay, I think, doing that. But, but honestly, I, I don't know that we're doing... I, I, my sense is in, in seeing the angst in, in a lot of young people looking at how these things are happening is that we haven't equipped some of them with the, with the right skill set. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether they've all had the, you know, the freedom and opportunity to pursue uh, higher ed or whether it's taught in some places. But my sense is, is that... Uh, we've we've not done a great job Mm. the person who i was chatting with on social media said we need to do this earlier and i'm like you know what you're right we need to start when they're kids we need to present them with problems and tough problems the environment global warming this pandemic is like uh, you know we're going to come out of this but um if it's not a teaching or learning opportunity, I, I, you know, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting to hear your, your thoughts on that. And I, maybe nobody's ever asked you this question before or, or taken things in a direction that way. But I am curious oh. based on your being, being a professor and being at a university and the, and like when we were growing up, the, the institutional uh, understanding of university, there was something that our parents sort of said, hey, you got to go to school. And then you went and you did your degree. And then you had this sense of, well, maybe you're going to do postgraduate studies, but you're going to go out and get a job and you're going to be a professional. And what, and you're, but that's changed a lot in the last, I'd say 10 to 20, max 20 years, but really in the last 10 where entrepreneurial, entrepreneurialism, the, the sense that we're sort of like, you know, social media and all this stuff kind of has contrived to create a, a really different fragrance of how people actually function in some sense in life. And so I'm wondering when you, you know, being in a university, especially one like McMaster, that's a, a has been a pretty forward thinking institution when it comes to education and teaching, what, what is the next level for university and where does it need to go to sort to inspire that element in in our young people a little bit more than just uh going and getting the degree and the job because that that's not really what life is like anymore in some sense you know what that's a a brilliant question and um you know and i we didn't rehearse this so you know this is not it's not a put on but you know that's a great question and uh so it has changed and it is a different proposition. And this pandemic, if it's done anything from a higher educational standpoint, is, uh, has shown that, that, I mean, if this is a time for disruption, surely. 
in a time for change. And, and you're right, social media and the availability of information allows people now to educate themselves, uh, not by going to university. And there are plenty of examples in, you know, the, the sphere of entrepreneurialism is an example. You use that, but, but I mean, uh, of people that are, you know, we, we call them self-made people, self-taught people, uh, people who are lifetime learners. And there are resources now to learn and to teach yourself things that you don't need to go to university for. Um, I hate to say that, and you know, I hope that doesn't disenfranchise me from my colleagues who still think a university education is valuable as a systematic way to learn how to think. But I am not, uh, you know, so sort of wrapped up in the university and the ivory tower to think that you couldn't come to the same stage in your learning, your understanding, and your reasoning without ever having gone to university. You know, university will, however, you know, get you to maybe, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a, you know, those sorts of things, you know, but I don't doubt that there are people who are as learned, um, as well-equipped, as good a thinker, more so in a lot of cases than people who inhabit university campuses. Um, the really nice part, though, about being at a university is the ability to freely exchange ideas and really sort of, you know, rubber bounce things off of each other and to, and to challenge other people. You know, I, I have colleagues with whom I have disagreements, not always in the same department or university, but between universities within symposia that, that drive science forward. Does it piss me off? Yeah, I get upset sometimes, but I'm always reflective and I try to, you know, even if it's not reflective in the moment, I reflect <laughs> afterwards. Um, but, but you're spot on. Uh, higher ed is, is, is right for change. I think it needs to change. And uh, I do think though that it's, it's not the, it's not the, the golden handshake or the piece of paper that will get you. It just gives you tools and skills in a systematic way. But these days, um, my colleague Marty Gabal and I uh, um, constructed a MOOC, a massive online open course, small modules, free. And I get emails and stuff on social media from people in uh, India, from people in Japan and Thailand, uh, all over the world saying, I watched you on your MOOC. And I just think, you know, so it's the uncaged learner, right? I don't mm. need you lecture theater for you to learn from me, even if I'm not the right person to teach you, but you learn something watching a free video on your phone as you were going home from work. Mm -hmm. That is, that's mind blowing. <laughs> exactly. How you can craft, find so, and investigate. Cool. Yeah. It's very cool. At the most recent 2019 world junior hockey championships in the Czech Republic, team Canada's number one goalie was Nico Dawes. Nico is a great story. Heading into his NHL draft year, he was not on the Canadian team's radar. In the summer of 2019, Nico trained hard with the support of the great team at Shield Performance in Burlington, Ontario. He built up his body armor and lost 25 pounds. He came to the Guelph Storm camp in the best shape of his life and earned the number one spot for the defending OHL champs. And then earned his spot with Team Canada on one of 
the hockey world's largest stages. One of the tools used by Nico was the Matrix Fitness S-Force Performance Trainer. The S-Force is a no-impact, weight-bearing training tool that can improve fast-twitch muscle fiber, increase explosive performance, and support many conditioning objectives. Matrix Fitness produces training tools that focus on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike. For more information, please request a Matrix Fitness Sports Performance Package from their Canadian Director of Education, Annie.Villeneuve at matrixfitness.com. And mention the Leave Your Mark podcast to qualify for your 20% discount. So obviously I don't know a lot about this um, exercise physiology mentorship award that you got, but congratulations. But in getting an award like that, it usually infers that you, you know, you, somebody felt you were you were good at that or that you provided good mentorship. So what, what is, what is it about mentorship that you enjoy and, and um, what, what does it mean to you? What, what is it, what does it resonate inside of you? Yeah. Um, it's an evolution. Um, I think when I first started my, my focus was uh, very much towards me uh, trying to get ahead, push my career ahead, get grants, get papers uh, the people I mentored were maybe a means to do that. I don't think I ever treated anybody poorly, but I probably have grown in my understanding of what my role for them um, has been. Um, but as I've gotten older, wiser maybe, um, I've grown now to the point where um, the mentorship of, of younger people, whether it's undergraduates or graduates, um, means more to me than anything uh, from a, you know, a grant or a paper or anything from a career award standpoint. I mean, the award is great. It's, it's, it's outstanding to be recognized, um, you know, and to get some external validation, but to hear it from people who I'm trying to teach and learn and show how to do the right things uh, was, it's amazing. Um, it, it's it's the most uh, satisfying part of of, of my career. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Do, so, you, do you think that becoming a dad has anything to do with your your shift in in, in that uh, how you I, see things? Your question. Sorry. Do you think that becoming a father is, has anything to do with shifting your your thought process around that or driving you differently? Uh, I think so to some degree. I mean, um, uh, you know, I I'm. My dad's still here. He's uh, not in the greatest of health, so um, but he's but he's still a big fan of my work. He didn't go to university, uh, neither did my mom. Um, but they are they're super proud of me and my sister and the grandkids and all that sort of stuff. But um, my sons now are they're at university. Uh, none of them uh, to date anyway, doing what I'm doing, they've all pursued their own passions. Um, but, but I do think that, um, as you see them grow and mature when they're little kids, it's, you know, everybody, I can remember we have three boys. And so people fondly say my wife takes care of four boys. Right. (laughs) And, um, people said, you know, so, you know, what was the biggest transition? Was it going from one to two or two to three? And I said, no, it was going from zero to one. And it's, and they said, what was the plan? I'm like, there's no plan. Like it's just asses and elbows every day. And you're trying to figure things out. Um, but you know, you, you watch this little person and my, my oldest son turned 21 yesterday. And so we got to spend some time together and, you know, I, I, yeah, 
posted the thing on, uh, on, on Instagram and said, uh, 21 years ago, this kid arrived and look at him now. It's, it's hard to imagine, but, uh, tough job being a parent, but it does make you think, and it makes you think about the impression you have on other people. Um, I've been a coach. Um, I, I've valued that role as a, as a mentor and, and to this day have people reach back to me as former players and, and say, I had an impact on them. And I don't, I don't think at the time I ever remember thinking that I was having an impact on people, but, but you do teachers, coaches, parents, supervisors, and like I can count the number of mentors that I've had and, and the pivotal role they've played in, in shaping me and, and showing me where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. So it's a, it's a real honor to be recognized by people who say, Hey, know what you're doing that's cool it's um you're doing a good job and so like a few of them said that anyway they wrote nice things in the awards so awesome well so sort of the the elephant in the room is the the one that you started with with your uh, wife where you know you being her being your boss's boss so to speak how do, how is how does working in a department, like I work with my wife, our, we have our business together, et cetera. So it, it, it expresses its challenges and it has its advantages. I'm curious what the challenges and advantages have been for you to be working in the same institution in the same sort of flavor of what you guys do. Um, where does it, where does it challenge you and where does it uh, enrich you? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's been great in that um, our, True. Both of our two passions are. She's an exercise physiologist too, so we we can talk. And if I say I got a paper accepted or I got a grant, she knows exactly what it means. And and you know, and the work that went into it, or you had a student defend, or or some whatever. And so we speak the same language. And so there's no real translation needed to recognize people's successes and uh, i hate to say this uh, the failures too um papers get rejected grants don't get funded not every student makes it right um it, it prepares you for a lot of things that way i think um that's the good um the bad is is that you sometimes sit around tables and have to make decisions and uh at times we've been at odds over things now with my wife being the dean there's probably well not probably there are a lot of things that she hears that i i just can't participate in um so she intentionally has to not say anything probably about some of the things that are causing her stress or grief um and just you know eat it so to speak so that's difficult um but uh you know she's got a skill set that uh outpaces mine uh in terms of organizational and, and you know, to be stereotypical but just the way she thinks is um I, I, her i'm i'm a linear thinker but she's sort of you know i mean she's three four steps ahead of me in the way that she's planning stuff and i i just I can't think like that. We also make decisions very differently. I trust my gut. I, I instant, I think instinctively know what I want to do. She gathers information and gathers information and makes lists and pros and cons. And, and so that one thing has been where we've had true flashpoints in our relationship. Um, (laughs) I decide like that. And I'm like, come on. She's like, well, I got to think about this. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know? So, uh, but, uh, and she's, she's a, a fantastic 
patient person she uh, puts up with me it's uh it's, it's it must be a trial i gotta be honest but uh yeah she's i, I married up that's all i'm saying beautiful that's good that you think that way anyways here again with another word from our sponsor, Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 65% cotton and some pieces over 95%. Cotton is biodegradable, feels great against our skin, and is much better for our environment than synthetic-based apparel. Please go to ZenkaiSports.com for more information and for 20% off your entire order. Just use the discount code LYM20. So as you as you look forward in your in your career now, where where are you headed? Like what is what is the next uh, 10, 10 years of your life uh, about for you at this point yeah um good question uh i I always i've said to my my friends uh you are you know good friends of mine still from uh university and uh you know around the residences where i lived and everything that i'm I'm a lot closer to this end than i am to that end you know so the the end versus the start of my career i'm still looking for new opportunities still looking for new ways to kind of uh reshape who i am what i do how i do it um this pandemic unfortunately has given me or fortunately uh has made me reflect on a lot of things that i think i've done well and other things that i don't think i've done well but you know times are are incredible in terms of the opportunities that are presented to us um technology has has really changed the game in terms of dissemination of information and uh, I think that a lot of the models that I was taught as a grad student around, you know, it's, it was good enough to publish your paper, just don't hold water anymore. Um, knowledge translation, um, translation of information, presentation of information to uh, audiences that aren't academic, um, trying to convey to people how to think critically. That's really come around as one of the things that uh, I personally, and I think we as a higher education institution, need to do a much, much better job of. Um, I, big picture things, I, I'm not really sure I know. Um, I've got some things, some milestones that I'd like to reach from an academic standpoint. Um, more papers isn't one of them, but um, there are a few things, some problems that I'd like to unwrap a little bit more. At some point, though, I'm... Uh, I don't know if I can do this forever. I love it, uh, and I don't think I'll ever unplug completely from it. But the, you know, the awesome part about uh, academia uh, is that um, with no mandatory retirement age, I can still be kicking around when I'm sixty or seven or seventy. Forget about sixty. <laughs> I won't. I won't be there. I, I, I promise you, I'll get out. But uh, okay, I'll, I'll hold you to it. I'll, I'll call you about it. <laughs> Howie Green at Waterloo, and I understand even from people who are at Waterloo as faculty members now, he has distanced himself, but he still comes into the department every now and again, drops in on a seminar, and that's the the whole mantra of lifetime learning, right? I mean, you know, you're never too old to learn something new, and and I know it sounds stereotypical, but I, I, I believe it. 
That's fantastic. I'm going to use that to pivot onto my um, this book I found many years ago called The Day You Were Born. It's written by a woman named Linda Joyce from New York, who's an astrologer who mixed new astrology and numerology. <clears throat> so you were born September 15th, correct? Yes. So you are a Virgo six. Yes. So your purpose is to use your desire for truth and justice to either challenge society by opposing all it holds dear or by immersing yourself within the system, keeping temptation and desires at bay while you use your great charisma and charm to persuade others to see your point of view. Let the universe handle the details. Deepak Chopra. This is simple when you have faith, impossible when you don't. The Virgo sixes are perfectionists. Either they take responsibility for everything and everyone in their life, or they ignore others and do their own thing. With the Virgo six, there's a there's seldom a middle road. Self-acceptance is the key here. They can easily be driven by desires. Style is a gift. If they've chosen not to fit in, they are a are crude and upsetting if truth is their choice rather than beauty justice and the law may attract them they have a keen awareness of how things work and what makes people tick the virgo six should know that restlessness and divine discontent will always be present oh, uncanny <laughs> absolutely uh yeah spot on um a few things I, i'd be like no yeah, sort of but uh most part, a very good summary. Yep, I'm uh, I'm a perfectionist. Uh, I I don't sit still very very well, which is why you know these continual Zoom meetings in this time kind of you know, probably see me getting itchy. But uh, yeah, I was uh, I was I'm a I'm a I'm a perfectionist. I'm a fidgeter. I hate sitting around doing nothing. So that's awesome. <laughs> that that's brilliant. It's very good. Sure. Perfect. Perfect way to segue to my last question, which is going to be when you, if you think back to when you broke your leg that second time and sort of things were shifting, if you met that guy today, what would you say to him? I'd say, uh, you know what, buddy, my, my, uh, my leg still hurts, but it's not all bad. Um, I, whatever you want to call it, good things or bad things happen for a reason. Uh, it, it, changed who I am and uh while when it happened I couldn't I it was all just bad um in retrospect now it 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 was a pivotal moment in my life I don't know what I'd be doing if it but I mean I'm I think it would be okay but but who knows so uh yeah you know it's the time machine experiment don't go back and move that twig because you know so Well, it's been awesome spending an hour with you, Stuart. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, I really enjoyed meeting you a few years ago up here in Trombone, and uh, hopefully our paths will cross again someday. Thanks very much, Scott. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.